This morning we continue our At the Movie series in the movie Battleship. And uh, I'm going to cheat a little bit this morning, and I'm not gonna actually going to use the movie. I'm actually going to use the game. Anybody ever play Battleship as they were growing up? Battleship was an interesting game. If you uh, were here a little bit earlier, um, if you came a little early, you saw we had some of the old commercials from Battleship from the 60s and 70s. And it's funny, Rick White said, oh, I remember that one. It was 1975. I said, yeah, I was a year away from being born. Um, but... Uh, it was the one in the opera, and there sh- but there's always a line that they've used in every commercial, even since the 60s, all the way through the 90s, and, and even today that they have. And, uh, and that line was, you sank my battleship. That's it. And uh, what I want to do today is I want to take that idea of you sank my battleship today. And that's what I really want to build off of. But it's funny, uh, when I was a kid playing it, and you know, when I did play it even as an adult, it never seemed like there was a strategy to it. I mean, either you hit, you miss, you win, or you lose. That, that was pretty much it. There wasn't a whole lot of, of anything. You always thought, well, if I do it just right and put my boats just right, I'm going to win. Did you know there's a guy up in Seattle that has a company? Um, I think it was called Data Genetics. And what he does is he actually takes board games and places them through hundreds of millions of computer algorithms in order to figure out the best strategy to win. He's done it with Monopoly. He's done it with Candyland. Yes, Candyland. He's done it with Chutes and Ladders. This is the guy obviously desperate to beat his children and things. And he's done it in Battleship. He actually has come up with a strategy on how to win at Battleship. Now, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to win, but it gives you a better chance at winning. And you know, I never went into Battleship thinking, oh, there's this huge strategy, I'm just going to do it, and i got to do this and do this and do that, and i got to call these specific letters out because I know them well enough that that's exactly where they're going to put their things. It never even crossed my mind. But apparently there's people out there, that's, that's all it does is cross their mind. And they continue to think about it, and they plug in computer algorithms and all the different things that go with it. And um, you know, if you want to do it, uh, all you have to do is Google strategies to win at Battleship, and all the computer... Uh, computer algorithms will show up in the best strategies to win. So if you really are that desperate to win at Battleship, uh, I suggest you do that this afternoon. Um, whoever got the, the Battleship game there, the Mitchells, you guys can do that and just beat each other all afternoon today. That'll be just a lot of fun. Um, but, you know, I started thinking about strategies and how to win. And um, are we a cruise ship or are we a Battleship? Because I think Satan has a strategy to knock us out of the battleship mentality and into the cruise ship mentality. To take the church from what it is supposed to be, and that is the body of believers, to the idea that it is just a bunch of Christians that are, blah, just along for the ride. Because what it's supposed to be, what the church is supposed to be, is a bunch of believers going and doing But what it's turned into and seems to be is a bunch of believers going and doing just at church. And that's a hard thing. That's something that's difficult to wrap our minds around. And, you know, um, I was talking this week with with the team from from VBS. and, And, you know, these kids by far aren't perfect. And he wanted to make sure that I knew that. And I knew that already. I understand kids. You know, they each have their struggles. But they are out there and they're reaching out to people. And I was watching them talk to people that... They, they didn't have that reservation that we have. 
And they got to experience a lot of things that I'm going to talk about here in a couple of minutes. But even as they were out there, they were out there sharing what God wanted them to do. They, they didn't say, hey, we want them to come to us. They're out there going. When they were sitting at the parks, people would walk by and they would jump up and they would run up the hill to get to the, the, where this person was at just so they could talk to them. And what a great thing. What a great example. And you know, I know on mission trips, sometimes it's a little bit easier than it is to do it in your own backyard. But why is that? Why is it that way? You know, when I was talking with, this, uh, with the youth pastor, I said, so one of the things that I've noticed is that Satan doesn't want to full-on destroy us. He doesn't want to, to crush our testimony so much so because I think that can turn around and backfire in the, the obviousness of God's grace being poured out on us and, and seeing that God is still accepting and things. I think what he really wants to do for us is make us ineffective hypocrites. That's what he wants to do for us. He wants to destroy our testimony in that way. Not in the fact that he wants us to go out and, and fail miserably and then see that God's grace can redeem us. He wants us to think that we're okay and not do anything. He wants us to be a cruise ship and not a battleship. He wants us to be comfortable and not uncomfortable. And it's not something that's new. Um, someday, someday in my bucket list, I'm going to, I'm going to be able to check it off because I'm going to go to Germany. I'm going to go up the Rhine River. And I'm going to take a cruise up the Rhine River and I'm going to look at all the castles and I'm going to look at all the churches. And the churches there are just amazing structures. I mean, just huge, amazing structures. But you know what the one problem they have is? What's the one problem they have? You were just there. They're empty. They're empty, except with tourists who come in and check it out. But on the days of worship, they're empty. Why in the world would a church be magnificent, but yet empty on Sundays? Do you think when they originally built those, they're sitting there going, you know what we really need to do? We need to make these buttresses look amazing and these huge, and it needs to echo and everything needs to be so great. That way, in a couple thousand years, or a couple hundred years, not a couple thousand, a couple hundred years, they'll all be empty and great tourist attractions. I mean, you think that was it? They think that was the idea of building a church? When we get ourselves into a building plan, is that going to be our mentality? Well, let's make it look really, really good for tourists in a couple hundred years. No, it's about, it's about reaching out. And somehow or another, they lost it. What happened? What happened to make those churches empty? Because back, you know, what was it? In, um, in early Christianity, when Martin Luther went to the Castle Church in, in Germany, in Wittenberg, Germany, and nailed the 95 Theses to the door... Do you think at that point in time, he said, I'm going to do this so that years from now, Germany could be religiously dead? Because even up to the 1970s, even up to the 1970s, 40% of Europe, including Germany, consider themselves religious. You know what the percentage is now? Less than 20. Less than 20% of their entire country. How did it get that way? I mean, did they start out thinking, this is what's going to happen? USA Today did a study, and they asked people all over Europe, is the church in Europe dead? The survey answer came back with basically yes. How could where the church really got its modern Christianity start be dead? And I guess the next question is, is how can we avoid it happening here? How can we have America be not on the decline? 
Because I'm not sure if you take a look around you, but I would say that it is. I would say it's on the decline. As a matter of fact, that same USA Today article that asked if Europe was dead, asked if they thought America had the chance of having it that way, or dying. Have the church dying? They said, absolutely. It's very much on its way there. How do we keep it from happening? I think the first thing is we need to understand that we're not here as a cruise ship, that we're here as a battleship. That we are fighting. Not here along to enjoy the ride, but we are here to fight and we are here, we are here to win. And we are here to defend and we are here to protect and we are here. That's what we're here for. And it changes the way we, we approach all of this. Last week, if you were here with us, we talked about church unity. We talked about the movie The Avengers and how separate ways of fighting all kind of got in there and it, it, it disrupted the unity until they all came together to realize they are fighting for one purpose. And that's kind of what we're going to take off of this week as we talk about battleship. Because I think Satan wants to sink our ships. I think he wants to sink all the different ships that we have. And, and we need to understand what the purpose of the church is. We need to understand why we even exist. Because we go over it and over it and over it and over it again. And I know I've said it to you many, many times. Maybe you're like, I know, I know, I know, I know. Church isn't about us. It's about God. Yes, I'm reminding you that once again. You may think, well, why does he keep reminding us of that? Why do we have to go over this? Why do we have to continue to talk about it? Well, uh, interesting thing happened this week. Anybody know who Rodney King is or now was? Most of us in here probably do. Rodney King um, it, it was, the, was the black guy in L.A. They got beat up uh, by police. It was one of the first videotaped things that, that really made the news, and now everything's that way. And it set off all kinds of race riots all throughout Los Angeles and just crazy mess that was going on. And he came on, and he said, hey, can't we all just get along? I'm not sure if you've ever heard that. Well, he died this week. When he had passed away, it went obviously on the news, because he was big news 20 years ago. You know what one of the big articles that came out shortly after he died was? It started trending on Twitter, Twitter who is Rodney King? Because people don't remember, it's been 20 years. Many teenagers obviously weren't even alive. It wasn't a part of who they were, it wasn't a part of what they got to see on the news, it wasn't a part of all of that. And, they, and, and to have a trend, it takes a whole bunch of people all at once Twittering about it. Who is Rodney King? A bunch of people. It also happened with Dick Clark. When Dick Clark died earlier this year, you'd think everybody would know who that is. Another thing that trended recently, when the movie Titanic re-released for its 100th anniversary, a bunch of people tweeted, I didn't know that was an actual event. I thought it was just a movie. I am not kidding. I wish I was. That is the reason why we have to remember that is the reason why we have to be reminded. That is the reason why we have to keep it fresh and in front of us. What is the purpose of the church? Is it just to come and sit? Is it for us to absorb and take it all in and soak everything in that we can and be taught everything we can? Yes, that's part of it. But, and I've used this illustration before, it's like a sponge. It's like a sponge. If you take a sponge and you wash all your dishes and you soak it up with water and you just set it on the counter, what's it going to do if you don't squeeze it out? It's going to stink. It's going to get all sour and mildewy and all nasty smelling. And the reason why is because it soaked it all in. It hasn't squeezed any of it out. It hasn't given away anything that's taken in. And I think that's what happens to Christians sometimes. We soak everything in. 
And we go, hey, I'm going to go to church because I've got to learn and I've got to be this and I've got to know all this stuff. But yet, if we don't do anything with it, it doesn't matter. We're just going to stink. We're just going to stink. If you look at the front of your bulletin, you'll see a little something there too that talks about us stinking. But we'll get to that. What is the purpose of the church? What is the purpose of the church? Last week we talked about it. But I think first thing we need to do is define church. The word church comes from the Greek word ecclesia, which is defined as an assembly or called out ones. The root meaning of the church is not a building. I think that is myth number one. We assume when we go to church, that means we are going to a building. No. We are the church. When we get together, we are the church. When we go out, we are the church. It is not a building. It is people's match. In fact, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. Not and the church is multiple buildings, but the church is his body and is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. With the finding of the church, next we can ask, her, ask the question, what is our purpose? If we take a look at some different passages throughout Scripture, we'll see. The first thing is, is that believers form a community. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, it says, And the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. And they sold their property and their possessions. And they shared the money with those in need. And they worshipped together at the temple each day. Met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. The second thing we see is found in Matthew chapter 22. It's the great commandment. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. The third thing we see is the purpose of the church is found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. It says, Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the example that your Son is to us. God, help us today to get our minds off of that cruise ship mentality and into the battleship mentality. We pray it all in your name. Amen. These verses here, the body of believers form a community and they do five basic things that Jesus called them to do. Here they are, and just to let you know, they all just happen to be ships that the devils want to sink. The first thing we see is worship. Worship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. That word all, I've said it before, and I'll say it again, and I'll say it again, and I'll say it again. That word all means all. Not some. Not part. Not this little bit right here. Not 
their time between 9.45 and 11.45 on Sunday morning. Because a lot of people say, well, I'm going to worship today. No, no, no. You're going to worship together today because our life is worship. It is not a part of our life. It should be our lives. Worship is our all. It is all our soul, all our heart, and all our mind. That is what worship is. Worship service is just us coming together to worship. It's not the only time we worship. It should be all of us. Everything begins at worship. It's the foundation for everything else that we do. When the foundation of Christ's church is laid on worship, then it can be built into what He desires for it to be. The book of Psalms shows us how important it is to worship the Lord. Over and over again, we see it called to praise Him, to give Him glory, to magnify His name. Worship is bowing our will and lifting up God. That is what worship is all about. And I think we see it so, so messed up in the way that we approach it. If we love God with our all, would we even have time to become selfish and not build a quality relationship with God? I got a little prop here. Give me just a second as I step back over here real fast. My prop is one of those delicious sponge cakes filled with creamy something or other. It is a Twinkie. Do we have any runners in here? A couple of you are runners. I am not a runner. I've been battling in my mind why people run. If there's a basketball, I can understand running. If you're chasing after a soccer ball, I can understand running. If you're just running to run, I can't wrap my mind around this. Does anybody want a Twinkie? You can have, it's okay. I got a whole box full of them. Come on. Anybody want a Twinkie? Phil? Yeah? There you go. Got one coming at you right over your heads. Not even close. Not even, I did not, that was terrible. Let's try underhand. Oh, better? Better? That, that's better. Anybody else over here? Twinkies? No? Why don't you want a Twinkie? You raise your hand, you're a runner. You don't want a Twinkie? What? Oh, back corner. Here we go. Oh, oh, oh. Pathetic. I am terrible. I am terrible. I apologize. Coming your way. Oh, through the lights and down. Yes, that was better. Come. Yep, going to have to pray for these as they come flying through. I'm getting better. I only have three left, though. Those will be for me. No, um, those of you who run, Ryan, I know that, that you're a runner. When you go running and you put in your little hydration pack on your back and you're like, hey, I'm going to go run, do you have that little pouch on the side full of Twinkies? No. We do not have our pouches full of Twinkies because Twinkies are difficult to eat normal, much less while running. They take a lot of moisture out of you, and they kind of, well, there's a whole lot of reasons why we don't eat Twinkies while we run. One, we're probably running to lose weight. Twinkies do the opposite, I'm pretty sure, as I throw them out to all of you, and you're like, I'm not going to eat that, never mind. Um, Twinkies, they have a, a backwards effect with running. Second thing is, like I said, they're going to take the moisture out of your mouth, and you might get a bit of a stomach cramp, a little stomach ache maybe, while eating them while running. And if you really look at it, if you really look at it, you probably have to stop running. If you want to eat a Twinkie, you can't very well, you're going to have cream all over your face and stuff. You, you, you can't do it. It's just what's going to, you're going to have to stop running. If you take your mind off the focus of the goal of what running's all about and decide to take on something to please yourself, like a Twinkie, 
it's going to create some issues. Well, it's the same way with God. Loving God is a lot like running. If we're doing it with our all, and nothing is distracting us, and we're not reaching out for this, we're not going for that, it won't be hard to do. You know, like, I don't like to run, partly because I don't like the way it makes me feel, because it actually takes effort to do it. You know, it makes my muscles have to work. I don't really want to do that. Well, sometimes loving God means we've got to do some things. We've got to respond to Him in love, just like if you're loving your wife or loving your children. You're not going to do it out of obligation. You're not going to do things out of obligation. You're going to do it because you love them. That's the same thing we do with God. But when there's Twinkies that are out there to distract us and take us away and stop loving with all our hearts and all our souls and all of our minds, but just put God in this box, say, well, I got my God time from the time I wake up in the morning till about 1 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, and after that I'm done. We have that. We got some issues. Our worship is going to fall. Our worship is going to be terrible. Is it even really considered worship at all? Worship isn't the first one in our list on accident. Because if we don't love God, everything else we talk about today is worthless. If we don't love God, everything else we talk about today is worthless. The second part of our purpose is this. It's ministry or service or if you want to ship, stewardship. God has given us. God has given us the ability. God has given us gifts. How are we using them? How are we using them? It says love your neighbor as yourself. It's the greatest command or the second greatest commandment but it really says it's equal to that we have been called to minister we've been called to do service we've been called to do it i am so thankful to be in a church that is about doing because we would not exist in this building right here if we didn't do or we'd have simple sunday every week it would just be you know kind of lame But because people have stepped up and said, God has given me the gift to work with children, or God has given me the gift to work with teens, God has given me this gift, and I'm going to apply those, it changes everything. And every little thing that we do here changes it. We are not called here on Sunday mornings to be served, but we need to serve. It's like that squeezing out process. It's like that squeezing out that when we get on Sunday mornings, when we get in our Bible studies, when we get in our connection group discussions, What are we doing with it? Where are we taking it? It is up to us to do it. It's not up to me. It's not up to a team from Louisiana. It is up to us as a body of believers to reach out to a community that is lost. You know what just completely blew the mind of these kids from from Louisiana? That 91% of the state does not have a biblical view Oh, in life. Doesn't even have a really a moral view on life. They don't take anything biblically. They're like, what? We come from the Bible belt, like right in the rusty buckle part. That's, that's where we're from. Everybody there is a Christian. If you're born in Louisiana, you're automatically stamped a Christian. You're good to go. They, they could not get it until they went door to door. They started going door to door, and they're knocking on people's doors and inviting them. And they're getting the, get off my property. What are you doing here? Leave us alone. They're like, in Louisiana, they're at least nice to you. They at least say, yeah, we'll be there and not show up. And I said, the only difference is between what you have and what we have is, is our people are brutally honest. 
said, I'd rather be brutal. <laughs> at this point in time, have somebody actually be brutally honest so I don't prepare for a bunch of people and don't show up versus then lie to my face. And there's not, not that much of a difference other than that, that fact. But, I mean, there were t- days they were getting off of their little bus that was taking them all around. Maybe you saw it driving all around Rio Rancho. They actually got off and cried because nobody was there. They were expecting just thing after, oh, people everywhere, you know, just this huge, all, nobody's there. And they, they literally cried. Tears ran down their face. And, you know, sometimes, I, I've said this, uh, I don't know if I should share it or not, but um, I've said this lots of times. If it weren't for people, ministry would be easy. It's just that simple. If it weren't for people, ministry would be easy. Because people have problems. I have problems. We have problems. And we say, God, why can't, I mean, I I give all kinds of time to do this or do that or do this, and I'm not getting the rewards. I mean, these kids have been working since February on training to come out here, and the reward was an empty park. That's why they cried. It's like, God, why can't I get something out of this? I put so much time and so much effort. But once we change our mindset to say, you know what, I'm doing this for you, God. My very first pastor that I worked for, while I was an intern, said to me, if you do ministry for people, you're going to quit. If you do it for God, it'll change your life. He told me that. Right up front. One of my first days there, and I've never forgotten it because that's exactly it. If it weren't for people, ministry would be easy. And the whole idea is, is that we are here to serve God. We are here to serve God, and we are here to not get rewarded because I think our reward is our service to God. As a matter of fact, 1 John 4, 12 says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And His love is brought to full expression in us, meaning people will see God in us as we show love to them. Ministry is what we do for others as a result as what Christ has done for us. Matthew twenty five forty says, Whatever you do for the least of these brothers of mine, you do for me. I hate on Sunday mornings when I wake up and I feel as if I'm overwhelmed with the thought of the things we have to do to set up for church. Next week, Rick's going to be gone, Corey's going to be gone, Blaine's going to be gone. Those are our three audio video guys that do it, have been doing it for two years. With all three of them gone next week, a slight bit of panic set in for me. I'll be honest with you. And next Sunday morning, it'll probably still be there. And I'll say, oh, what do we have to do? What are we going to... The idea of service of things I have to do weighs on me. But if I change my mindset and say, you know what? Service is things that I get to do for God. That God even chose to use me. Because God doesn't need me. He doesn't need you either. But he chose to use us for his glory and to reach out to a community that needs to hear about him. When we do something that we feel obligated to do, it feels like work. But when we do something that we love to do, you know what? It feels like love. I've heard it said before, and this is the one that's on the front of your bulletin, Christians are like manure. Spread them out and they help everything grow better, but keep them in one big pile and they stink horribly. How true is that? How true is that? We need to get out there and we need to serve. We need to help people grow closer to God. The third and really the fourth thing are evangelism and discipleship. 
Evangelism and discipleship. It says, go and make disciples of all nations. Making disciples is a commandment, not a suggestion. I think many churches miss that word, go. Go and make disciples. Go. Don't sit and wait for them to come to you. And you know, I'll tell you, this week, this week it changed my mind once again. It relit my fire. It didn't really change my mind. It just got me back on focus for what we have to do. Christ has chosen us to reach out to people that he loves. To reach out to people that he loves. He uses us, and we need to remember that. We need to understand that evangelism is a responsibility of ours to share with people that are out there. Jesus loved the lost and he loved the found. Matthew 14, 14 says, Jesus saw the huge crowd and he stepped, as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. He loved them, even though they weren't perfect. Matthew 9, 38, or 36 to 38 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. When Jesus looked at people, he loved them so much that he gave everything for them. He gave up his reputation, he gave up his status, and he gave up his very life for people. And we need to be willing to do the same. 1 Timothy 2 says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for the kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and it pleases God our Savior. God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, and that man is Jesus Christ. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave the world at just the right time. Jesus didn't look at people as a bunch of losers. He didn't look at people as a bunch of rejects. He didn't look at them as being too tatted up or have the wrong kind of hair or the wrong kind of dress. And it's funny because I got to thinking about this this morning. And um, we have this, this idea that, that I don't know where it even really came from. But at one point in time uh, in my life, I was not allowed to wear jeans to church. I know. I had to wear corduroys. That's as jean, close to jeans as I could get. I had to zip when I walked to church. Um, for those of you who are young, you don't have any idea what I'm talking about. But... Um, I had to put on my Sunday best. Anybody else had to put on their Sunday best at some point in time in their life? That's right. And the reason why we have to put on our Sunday best is, is because we're supposed to give our best to God on Sundays. Quick question for you. Why don't we dress like that all week long? Because shouldn't we give God our best every day? I remember I got into a bit of a discussion with the deacon one Sunday night when I decided to wear jeans to church because we had a youth activity afterwards. And he told me, never again will you be doing that. And I said, well, why is that? And he went through the whole thing, and I asked him. I said, so do you wear that suit every day of the week? And this was because I was just a talking back brat at the time. But he said, no, I don't. I said, oh, so you only have to give God your best on Sundays. And he just got that, oh, you got me, but I'm going to hurt you look on his face. And, um, you know, we had this tendency to think that if somebody doesn't fit this mold on this day, then, then we have to look down on them. God died for everyone. Jesus 
sacrificed his life for every single one of us. Every single one of us, Paragon Church, exists to go. Jesus came and he met the needs. He knew the needs and he met the needs of the people. And he wants his church to do the same. We are his body. We exist to go. I'm telling you, VBS was amazing. Watching all the kids dance and sing and learn about Jesus and the five salvations and watching the, watching the team from Louisiana see fruit, those five salvations, you know, by the end of the week and just them. And some people might say, only five. Man, five. I would pay a million dollars to see five people come to know the Lord, honestly. And, and see those five come and, and see families get involved and people come up and talk and say, hey, we're just looking for a church. We've been hurt by church before, so we're, we just need to know what you're doing or why you're doing it. And so I get to explain what we're doing and how we're doing it and, and our mission and our purpose and that we're not the cruise ship. And if you just want to come and, and chill out and, and hopefully have a good fellowship time, that's part of it, but that's not going to be all of it. And we're going to challenge you to go, and we're going to challenge you to push, and we're going to challenge you to change, because this says, come as you are, but be changed, and then go change the world. That's what we're about. And I want people to understand that, and people were excited about that, saying, hey, you know, that's something we want to be a part of. So I'm looking forward to reaping the fruits of VBS over the next weeks and months, and seeing the things that take place here. This team, you know, like I said, they, they, had, their, they had their faces have doors slammed in them. They had people yell at them to get off their land, to get, get, go away. And I was thinking, you know, who are these people? Who are these people that do something like that? I mean, we had a girl come to our door yesterday that was from a foreign country we could hardly understand, and she was selling something we didn't want, and she had terrible body odor, but we did not slam the door in her face. How do you do that? What do you do? Why, is it, why does it create that problem? What, where is that barrier at? And I got to thinking, you know, I don't think people trust people. I think the invention of the garage door opener and the walls that surround us and the air conditioning that keeps our doors closed, maybe that's it. And that air conditioning is working really well today. I'm not sure if you're cold, but I'm freezing up here. The, uh, the um, whole idea of us staying inside our thing here and nobody needs to penetrate our bubble, I think that's what did it. So how do we reach those people? Well, those same people that were slamming the doors in those kids' faces are your neighbors. They're my neighbors. They're people that I talk to when I get a chance to, if the garage door's up long enough, or if their kids are outside playing, or whatever it might be. But we need to build the relationships with those. Because, like I said, there is no trust. You've got people that live next door to you that will trust you to watch their dog, or whatever it might be, or little things like that. There's ways to break into that. And we... We need to be reaching out to those people. That is what evangelism is. We need to be sharing with them. We need to be building relationships with them. We need to show them Christ's love. It shouldn't just be a team from Louisiana, the only ones that are out there. Because every set of eyes that you look into has a soul. And that soul will spend eternity somewhere. So when you look into those eyes and you think to yourself... I am worried about what they might think of me if I'm going to share Christ with them. Just know, is it worth whatever feeling you have inside to conquer that so they could at least hear? Now, they have to make the choice, but so they could at least hear about Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done for them. 
Because when we don't say anything, when we back away, and I know I've said it before as well, we're basically telling them, hey, go to hell. That is what we are saying, loud and clear. And we all have neighbors, and we all have people we can reach out to. And Luke chapter 14, verse 27 It says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We know, we know that Jesus carried the cross for us. We know that it wasn't something that was pleasurable. We know that it wasn't something that he enjoyed doing. It wasn't even really something that he wanted to do. Because before that night happened, before everything, when he's in praying, he said, God, if there's any other way to make this happen, please do it. Because I don't want to go through this. But he did it for you, and he did it for me, and he did it for our neighbors. Matthew 28 also says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's discipleship. What's a disciple? It's somebody who's a learner, who's a pupil, who's someone who follows. It's someone who is being taught. We need to be out there teaching. We need to be out there reaching people. That is what evangelism and discipleship is all about. The final one here is this, is fellowship. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We think about fellowship and we usually think about where we have a church dinner at. Or where we can get together as a connection group. Or how we're going to hang out afterwards. And you know, we, uh, thanks Bill for cooking popcorn to fit into our At The Movies theme. There's some popcorn over here. You can grab some. Stand around and eat some popcorn. Um, try not to get the stuff stuck in your teeth because then people stop listening to you. They just stare at that. Um, but, you know, it's just a time of fellowship. And we kind of assume well, that's what fellowship is. And that's what the church is. And sometimes we put that as number one. And, and that, yes, is very much a part of it. It is very much a part of it. So much so that we're going to start making some modifications and hopefully have them ready by... Um, by, oh, mid-September, maybe even August, and start working on getting some more areas where we can fellowship together. But that is not the only part of fellowship. See, when it says baptizing people, it means we're bringing people in to belong. We're bringing people in to belong. And baptism for a new believer is the first step of belonging. It identifies us with Christ. It identifies with his body believers. And when somebody gets baptized, that's what it's about. Maybe you haven't been baptized yet. Maybe this morning you need to talk to me so we can arrange a time to do it and, and, and bring you in to where God, God wants you, in his fold, in his fellowship, and in this area here. But fellowship is also about connecting. It's also about connecting. And when, when somebody comes in from the outside, we need to get them plugged in. We need to be plugged in ourselves. We need to be as iron sharpens iron. You know, we need to be holding each other accountable. Look what it says in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 18. It says, don't just pretend to love others. I'm going to stop right there for just a second. How many of you guys have ever been in a church that it seems like people are just pretending to love others? I have. Doesn't feel good. Not sure what people are thinking, but they got a smile on their face. Got that, uh, you know, I'm not quite sure. Don't pretend to love others. Really love them. Novel idea. Hate what is wrong. Hold tight to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. If I were to stop right there, how many churches would that describe? Percentage across America. To love each other to honor each other, to work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Would that just scream the Christian church in America? I don't think so. That's a problem. And I think it goes back to the fact that people forget why we exist. 
Rejoice in our confident hope, verse 12 tells us. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Basically saying, hey, get along with each other. I believe we talked about that last week with unity. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. I think that's one great way that Satan jumps right in there and knocks the snot out of the church. As he lets little bickering and little infighting take place inside the church and even inside your head that you think that somebody might be thinking something of you or you think you know, there's different things that he just likes to play and manipulate and, and pull you back away from that fellowship and that unity and those things that are there. And that fellowship and unity takes us away from saying, well, I can't really worship God because of what this is taking place and I can't really serve God because of this and I can't do, use the gifts that he's given me because of this and I can't evangelize because of this and I can't disciple because of this and I can't, I can't, I can't. And we have an excuse for everything but excuses are like armpits everybody's got them and most of them stink okay that's just the way it is and maybe you've heard that said differently but i can't see the other way in church um the thing is the thing is is we're trying to go forward and everything that satan wants to do is keep us from moving at all to just sit back and enjoy the church exists to worship to serve, to evangelize, to fellowship, and to disciple. That's what it's all about. That's what we are here for. Not one particular area, but all five areas. And it all starts with worship. That is our purpose. That is our mission. Our mission is to live it. Not just to say it, not just to hear it this morning, but actually do something about it. I know that's a novel thought. I know that's out there thinking that when we leave church, we should actually apply it to our lives. It's kind of like soap. You know it works. You know it's there. And in the box, it's great. It even smells good outside the box. But until you actually open it and apply it, it doesn't do you anything. No good at all. So we need to, as a church, push forward. Push against the resistance that's out there. We need to take our focus off of us and put it on Christ. We need to change our lives or allow Christ to change our lives so that when people look at us, we look different than people who don't go to church. We act different than people who don't go to church. Instead of waking up in the morning and say, what am I going to do today for me? We should say, what can I do today for God? What's God have for me to do today? How can I reach out to people? Instead of saying, I am I serving God to get something in return? Be happy that we get to serve God. Instead of living day to day just to pay the mortgage, maybe we should live for something greater. Let's assume that all of us will be around next week. And I say assume because no one knows for sure. But I got a question for you. What are you going to do with this week? Are you just going to merely exist and live another day and live another day and live another day and live another day? You realize it is June 24th? Tomorrow will be six months away from Christmas. I know. Some of you are already starting to think about shopping. Others, you still have six months. 
How fast has 2012 flown? I mean, we all say it. Holy moly, I can't believe how hot it is outside. This year is just blown by. What have you done since January 1st when you made your resolutions? Do anybody even remember your resolutions? We just live another day. We live another day. We live another day. And look, we're six months, almost seven months into it. My challenge to you today is this. is not only know the purpose of the church, but live the purpose of the church. And when I say the church, I do not mean Paragon Church. I mean the body of believers that makes up Jesus' body. That makes up His hands and His feet and everything else that goes with it. We need to reach out to people. I got really, really, like I said, really, really inspired this week to watch these kids do what they did. To travel 1,200 plus miles, 17 hours on a bus to come out. And they may have went home disappointed saying, oh, only five salvation. And I'm telling you, that's five people that aren't going to hell. And that's worth everything. Everything they invested in it and everything we can do to be a part of it as well. And following up and volunteering and being a part of what's going on here at Paragon and being a part of things that are going on in your neighborhood, shining the light of Jesus in the dark world. That is our job. That is why we are here. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We are so thankful. We are so thankful that you loved us so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. There are days that we forget. There are days we just go on living as if it's just another day. That we have ultimate amount of time to continue to do what we're doing. God, remind us of why you have us here. Remind us of why we are the church. Remind us of why you sent your son to die for us and the fact that we have this cure to this cancer that is sin found in you, and yet we hold on to it as if we're okay with people dying without you change our minds, change our attitudes, change our hearts, change our fears. Help us overcome them to reach out to people who need you. Help us throw away that fear of rejection. Help us throw away that fear of what are people going to think about me. Help us throw these things away and focus on you. That God, that we can love you with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and get the Twinkies out of our lives that are going in there and they're distracting us from the running that race that you've called us to. God, you are amazing and we're blown away by your amazing grace. That even when, you fa- when we fail you, that you love us. But help us today, Lord, to work on not failing you but to reach out to our neighbors, those people that you've placed in our lives that don't know you. We pray it all in your name today, Lord. Amen.